Welcome to the New Books Network. Why do we need a savior? Why can't Jesus just be a really good teacher? Um, And just another kind of like a a Buddha or rabbi, Moses, um, is that we, we cannot really get out of the this kind of world of sin and exile from God's presence uh, on our own. We can't just put ourselves back into relationship to God. We can't just look upon even Jesus as a great model of how I want to live my life so that I can be a better better man, a better father, a better husband. Um, but that all those efforts end up falling short and actually maybe mm-hmm. um, drawing us further from really being brought back in union with God. And so God had to send yeah. his son. God had to become man so that man could become God, as, as Athanasius, St. Athanasius said. As we start the second year of Almost Good Catholics, I asked my old friend David Basil, the theology teacher and our very first guest last year, to come back and explain the mystery of our redemption in the sacrifice of Christ crucified. What is more central to our Christian faith? And yet, at least for me, what is more difficult to understand? So this will be the first new episode of 2023. Woohoo! Season 2. Shifting from Christmas back to ordinary time and celebrating 40,000 total downloads worldwide of the program so far. And so at the very end, I'll play a couple of Christmas carols in their entirety from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band to share the joy of Christ coming into the world and into our hearts, which is also the topic of this episode. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Adinius, and I get to ask interesting people who have thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format, in relationship and dialogue, in back and forth, may help us approach the truth and have a really good time doing it. Should you want to take the conversation a step further, please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Today, my guest for the third time is Mr. David Basil. He is theology chair at Archbishop Rummel High School in Metairie, Louisiana. He also has a Master's of Theology from the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology, part of the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, California. So this is David's third appearance on the show, and uh, I am so delighted to talk with you again. Happy New Year, David. Happy New Year. Yeah, it's a, it's a great joy to be back and speaking with you in person. This is, well, at least virtually. Um, yeah. This is a great delight. Yeah. Um, so right, and I uh, the show has has had a, a lot has happened. We moved it from my old um, my old website, which was working great, to uh, something much bigger called New Books Network. And so they've just published all the episodes one after another, and we've had so many way more downloads. So it's it's been very nice to have uh, so many listeners find us, which meant that we went for the last month. It's just been going all the old episodes from last year. So this is going to be the first episode um, yeah. published from 2023. Uh, so it's nice. It's symmetrical that uh, you are the guest again. I, I think I'll call this season two, <laughs> episode 39. Um, so welcome again. Uh, do you have Do you have a joke? Sure. Uh, given that the topic today was going to be salvation, and I spent a lot of time, um, and I have been spending a lot of time thinking about sacrifice, I um thought of this one 
so you know how relationships go and you know how uh in order to make a a, a good relationship between spouses um sometimes um things don't always work out and um there's arguments there's fights so my wife said the other day that in order to make our relationship work we would each need to, need to make sacrifices <laughs> uh, which i took to heart um but she seems less impressed and happy about me leaving a lot of dead goats all around the kitchen <laughs> as actually that sounds delicious <laughs> 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 yeah Lamb's that's back a, on the menu <laughs> yeah right so uh we should we should that's what we should start with is um sacrifice why there's sacrifice where that comes from because my you know why i i don't know if you heard um the conversation i had long ago with another theologian from the same dominican school where you went and i had told him this little parable that my dad had told me when i was little and i don't know where he read it and i asked him about it much later, and he did not even remember telling me the story, but it was somewhere, sometime he had read this story about a tyrannical ruler who had, you know, some um, reclusive, some uh, hidden away Himalayan kingdom, and along came some American mountaineers who, you know, misbehaved and camped in the wrong places and left litter and broke all kinds of rules. And so the king arrested them and said, you know, in my in my kingdom, the penalty for your misbehaviors, for your many sins is death. However, because I am a merciful king, I will kill my own son instead and let you go and, and let you go free. Right. Which is an absurd parable. Yes. Uh, but it, but it illustrates the they're like, what what why? Why would God say bring his only begotten son into the world just to kill him? just to let us off the hook for things we had done to him when he could, you know, is he not God? Can he not with a wave of a wave of a hand pardon all? How, what are the mechanics of, of redemption and salvation and um, yeah, of redemption and sacrifice. How, where does this come from? How does it work? Yeah. So your parable um, exemplifies to me something that I think I, I can't accept uh, in a certain extent. It's is not this vision of a punitive, um, God, uh, one that is wrathful and demands, uh, in a sense of justice, the um, death and punishment of all those who have wronged him and offended him, who have sinned against him. Um, that that doesn't really. I mean, uh, he is he is our father, right? So he's the prototype mm -hmm. of um, fatherhood. He is the the archetype of fatherhood, which I want to embody in all ways. And I just imagine in terms of my own children, like. All right, uh, they have they've done something wrong. I come home and I'm informed of one having hit the other, and so um, you know I must uh, now banish or exile or um, possibly even uh, kill him to just uh, out of my wrath and out of my spite. This is that's not the picture of yeah. fatherhood that I have. Right? That's and that's that's not really how I say it. I don't really know theologically where this kind of creeps in i know that um in many ways this is this is very much a part of uh luther and calvin especially calvin's theology but uh you know to, to picture that um you mean the you mean the wrath why so, why is yes. god and the demand for death yeah um 
Right, and we see that in like um, Puritanism, and I, I, is it John Edwards, the American writer who who gave that sermon about how God holds us the way you hold a creepy spider above a fire, ready to at any moment. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sounds a little distorted, doesn't it? That's a that's a sermon I got in high school. I remember when we were reading the uh, Scarlet Letter, just to help us understand uh-huh. what the mentality was of these seventeenth-century people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It seems peculiar to me that we would have, um, as kind of in your parable model, we have a humanity which has fallen, which has sinned, and uh, a deserving of death, um, and. God demands death of them, and then his own son says, though innocent, I'm willing to take um, their place and kill me, and um, so therefore God does so. Um, I don't really think that's their story. Mm-hmm. I think that's a misinterpretation. Okay. Um, and in, in some ways, you have to go back to when death... You know, it could, also come, it could also come from these ancient Mesopotamian tropes. Where the you know not Yahweh but the other gods they were all they were all really mean and they wanted people for slaves and they wanted to you know if you like I I don't remember the story now but like Marduk cutting yes. open the the world dragon and from that Tiamat. creating the world Tiamat yes yeah yeah right and creation comes out of this primordial act of violence yeah and then and then the other thing is we assume that we should be nice to each other. But maybe that's only because we've lived with Christianity for two thousand years. Whereas, right. <laughs> whereas before that, people were like, "I'm, I'm going to watch for my tribe. I'm going to protect my, you know, subjects and overlord." But everybody else, why? Yeah, why they may not. Earth? They might be lesser. They might not yeah. be equal and made in the image of likeness of God. They don't aren't deserving of that kind of yeah. level of dignity and respect. Right. Right. So I okay. think that's. Um, so our and, view of wrath is wrong, eh? Or. Yeah, and I think that, um, yes, I think our view of wrath is wrong. Okay. Um, to anthropomorphize uh, human emotions of wrath upon God, I think, is faulty. Although, when we are in a state of uh, sin, when we are cut off from God, I certainly, the, the feeling that a human would have would be, as though one is um, God is wrathful. That's um, interesting. So, is that a self-imposed alienation, right? Um, when I do, when I is the result of sin. Yeah, right. When I commit a sin, between some sin I just committed, and between when I get over to confession and I put it all put it all away, I have distanced myself from God, kind of like uh, Adam and Eve hiding. Right? Who told you you were naked? Right? That that's sort of a feeling. Right. Okay. And you as a father could probably recognize this when one of your own children are uh, disobedient or uh, have done something wrong. And the, you can just look upon them. And even if your heart is loving, if there's a kind of a sense of sternness and a, a sense of they feel um, withdrawn from what you wanted and how you have raised them to be, their emotional state projects a kind of... Uh, anger and wrathfulness upon you okay. as you try to correct and discipline and bring them back into order. Right. Well, why is that? Is that because I think they're not taking it seriously enough and they're making excuses as little children do or, or just because they feel a separation from the rules and the, that we made as a little family? 
Well, I cannot really love as God loves. So I'm always getting my own kind of anger inter yeah. injected into it, but um, as a father. But I think that it is the emotional state of their own doing, of their sense of separation that then they feel removed from your love. And uh, that feels like hell. Um, yeah. No. Um, okay. okay. On a more existential level, in a sense of like, uh, our stories of uh, Adam and Eve, this is when death enters into the world. And um, and so the, as, as well, the need for a redeemer, the need for salvation. So I think always we must go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and particularly then in 3. Um, and what we see is uh, and ah, I wish I had my Bible right here because I'm. Well, you do. Uh, you have to open another tab. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, I can actually get up and walk you, you my, uh, over to a Bible. But what we see is death isn't necessarily a punishment in Genesis three. Um, now Paul does say that the wages of sin is death, but he doesn't say the punishment that, um, of sin is death. Um, it's just what is owed. Uh, and to a certain extent, if you if we read carefully Genesis one, I don't necessarily even see it as um, punitive, but actually already an act, a gift that God has given. Um, so they've eaten of the fruit of the tree of knowledge uh, of good and evil, and uh, at this point they weren't meant to die. Um, so they're in a certain sense, like the angels, um, and the demons in that, um, they're immortal and, um, but now they, they know good and evil. So like, um, they know, and, and by that word, know, we have a kind of an intimacy that we see throughout scripture that whenever a man knows a woman, there's a, a child comes forth that there's a, there's a deep intimacy with the knowledge of good and evil, which they have now. And um, so they're kind of removed yeah. from that um, kind of state of innocence, almost childhood innocence. And I'm looking. Yeah. So I have Genesis 3. Which one? Where do we? Where should we look? So Genesis towards the end. Of 2? Um, of Genesis 3.21. Okay. Genesis 3.21. So just before this, you know, we hear um, the curses that God placed upon the snake, the serpent. And we see now Adam uh, will have to toil uh, with the sweat on his brow. And um, Eve will experience pain uh, in childbirth. Um, and what's interesting is throughout that, in those consequences, Adam and Eve are not cursed but now somehow their removal from the god um has cursed the ground so that's going to be an interesting mm. thing to, that we look at um is that the ground becomes polluted by their sin and so we see like sin spreads uh sin is a pollution that emanates and has effects it's not just an individual um thing um but uh, in 21, we see the Lord God made for the man and his wife garments of skin with which he clothed them. And that garments of skin um, 
already seems to give reference to some kind of animal sacrifice. That's true, because uh, everybody was a vegetarian until this point. Yeah, he's well, he's a veget vegetarian until after Noah's flood. So, right, oh. they're totally vegetarian, and um, they don't have to, they haven't yet even had to toil uh, to till the soil or anything of that sort. Um, but now there's somehow God has provided for them garments of skin, and some um, theologians in the past have also looked at this as like they have a new kind of a body. Mm -hmm. Their body has changed. Um, not to say that they didn't have matter before, but now they're going to have death. Uh, so they, they, they have a skin, um, a new kind of covering. And it's an interesting thing too as well, is that, that their nakedness is now covered um, by first fig leaves and now garments of skin. So we'll, we'll see again this picture of, throughout the story of salvation, throughout the story of um, sacrifice is, is an atonement. Is this covering um, over of one's sinful state? Yeah. And then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So he's in God, we see already in this council uh, with, with his angels and with uh, uh, the fathers, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, Man has become like one of us, mm -hmm. knowing good and evil. And if he were to remain in that state, if he were to be immortal, then he would be like a demon, um, cut off from God forever. And so they, uh, and that's what comes to the next line in um, verse 22. Now, what if he also reaches out his hand to take fruit from the tree of life and eats of it and lives forever? So if we had remained without death, we would have forever been disobedient if we had reached out and, and taken the tree of life. Um, we would have remained disobedient to God, cut off from him. And so the Lord God therefore banished him from the Garden of Eden so to, to till the ground from which he had been taken. He expelled the man, stationing the cherubim and the fiery revolving sword east of the that, garden of yeah. eden to guard the way to the tree of life so we he prevented us from becoming like the angels and the demons and in yeah. particular from becoming like the demon and so the so, so death is a kind of a gift and right this is so spare right there's so little if only they had added a line that said that, you know <laughs> so that he's, if only, in order for him to return or right because there, you're right there's no cursing of of man and uh, yeah. and we Christians interpret this us as a Trinitarian that God is talking to the other persons of the Trinity. Yes, not and possibly that, His whole council of of all the angelic beings, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which appears again in Job, right, where God is hanging out in among among His council, and Satan appears with a with a with a deal. Yes. So, yeah. so that sort of thing is so is, it's so rare in the Bible to get a look into the heavenly courtroom. Uh, sorry, heavenly court. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, but is also, as you mentioned earlier, going to be um, reflective of the entire ancient Near East, the Mesopotamian understandings. All this, 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 that God had a council of that there was this All Father God who um, has a council of gods and um 
which in the Christian tradition, Judaic Christian tradition, we wouldn't recognize as um, God so much as angelic beings. Yeah, but this is is such this disobedience is so grave. Rather than God restoring the tree, and you know taking the fruit away, like death, it has to be. Why is it such a grave? Why 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 the tree? First of all, why the tree? <laughs> why, why why put a tree that you know that we're not yeah. allowed to? Don't touch? eat it. <laughs> don't look, but don't touch. Like you know, that's uh, Al Al Pacino as the devil in whatever movie that was. He he's like, look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't take. Or <laughs> like um. Why do that, knowing full well because he's God that that's exactly what's going to happen, right? Just as like any time you say you say to a little kid, "Hey, don't touch the candy. I'll be back in ten minutes." <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Um, so why do that? Why and then why knowing full well that this is exactly what's going to happen? It carries this grave penalty of death rather than just like, okay, fine, don't do it again. Letting the serpent into the garden in the first place, the most cunning of animals. Do we all agree that that is Satan? Because all it says here at the very beginning, now the snake was the most cunning of all wild animals that the Lord had made. He asked the woman, did God really say? Right. Yeah, and the snake doesn't, is of all the wild animals, whereas there is a, they're in a garden. Um, yeah, so he's sneaking in there, eh? He's sneaking in in there, right, from somewhere on the outside. So the, the, all of the heavens and earth have been created, but then God sets a garden uh, somewhere in the east. Yeah. Um, so that's there's a there's a particular place in which God is dwelling, even though, of course, it, this is kind of the paradox of our faith, but of all I think spiritual traditions is that. Uh, God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. Um, and yet uh, we find him in particular places and he dwells in certain places. Yeah. Um, right. Well, this is the, the idea of a garden. I'm borrowing from the famous Canadian psychologist, Jordan Peterson, who says that like it's the right balance because too much order is not a garden. It's a it's a house or a parking lot and too much chaos is not a garden. It's a it's a jungle. But a garden is a really nice amount of order and chaos. And that's why we like gardens. Right, right. And so something from the outside, something from chaos slips on in yeah. and um, starts to whisper and, and tempt Eve. Um, so the two trees, why, why are the trees? Well, part of uh, the rational animal, part of any of the um, persons, whether they're human or angel or um, divine are uh, there is this knowledge of good and evil um, there is what is to be done and there's what's not to be done um, and so that was present with us but I think um, we're not to take and eat of it our, ourselves so uh, you know when I'm teaching the students I'll pause and when we're exploring this and just ask, what does it mean to eat? And um, basically, what is not someone, what is, what is not you has to become you, that the digestive process has to destroy and annihilate the, um, the form of the other 
and then the body uh, absorbs that into so that it's unified as you. And that is something that, um, and then whatever, if it doesn't, if, if you don't through the digestion, destroy something else, you get sick. You're going to have an allergy or get throw up or, or whatever. So um, they're taking of this fruit, they're eating of this fruit, they're, they're making the knowledge of good and evil their own, um, which is to say they're asserting their autonomy. They're mm -hmm. seizing the um, ability to determine what's right and wrong apart from God. Yeah. And that's which, what we're not yeah. to do. But which and it's also the natural growth of any child into right, the world. right, with that right. Um, separation and return, separation and return, separation and return. As we try stuff out, as we, you know, borrow the car without asking and crash it into a tree, or <laughs> as as we you know kick the soccer ball at the wrong time and break a window. Mm -hmm. Um, but the you know fruit is explicitly to be consumed. Right, Un unlike uh, killing an animal, like the whole reason a tree produces fruit is so somebody eats it, and the, and uh, so a bird will eat of it, and then spread the seeds far far away, and and so on. Right? Why have fruit if it's not to be? Why have such well, attractive fruit <laughs> in the middle of the forest? Yeah, in the middle of the garden. But and it's uh, it's not given to them by God to eat so it's a fruit it's to be eaten but it's not they don't eat of it in his presence yeah they uh eat of right. it on their own with the desire to decide for themselves then as uh the temptation was is that you will become like god they and so you, they did right they made yeah. their own call i can choose for myself as a, as a teenager say i don't you know i'm going to decide what's what's good or not um yeah yeah yeah, so you're right. It's okay. Yeah. Natural. This is the beauty of of scripture. It's a. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I is. mean, yes, we believe the Holy Spirit inspired this, uh, but the yeah. the fact that people, you know, three thousand years ago, composed this, uh, and so much of it is spot on to what's happening inside my own heart and mind. Yeah, its word is eternal. Yeah. yeah. No, it's quite miraculous. Okay, so now we have rebellion. So rebellion carries death, not so much as a punishment or a curse, but because that's the way to atone. Like you can't, you can't, God cannot, it's too big a deal for God to wave his hand and say, let's try again. Oh, let's go back to yesterday. Because yeah, there's, no, there's no going as, back to yesterday. As with the fall of the, the, some of the angels, a third of the angels fell, they rebelled. And they're, um, the consequence of that is um, death or exile. And that's presence. astonishing, too, because how could they, right? How could they presume that this one angel is going to take over God's spot? Well, it seems to be what all those other myths in Mesopotamia are about, right? Because Marduk just doesn't come onto the scene to kill his mother, Tiamat. Yeah. Uh, he is the child of, uh, he's her child, and uh they in order to ascend to the throne of all these ancient mythologies whether it's greek and zeus killing chronos and others the god the hot the high god kills the prior gods to ascend yeah 
Um, so that, did the devil just think that this was possible? It seems insane that he would. It seems insane that he would. Uh, maybe because he had so much freedom in God's pleasure. They got really confused. Okay, now where do we know that there was this rebellion where a third of the angels fled, uh, rebelled, followed Lucifer, and were expelled? Is this an, a creation of John Milton's, or is this um, in the magisterium of the Catholic Church? Uh, this is in Revelations, and John Milton, um, a beautiful poem, enjoy it very much, uh, certainly injects his own kind of puritanical understanding of when that takes place. But I'm not, um, it's certainly we see it in revelations that the, um, the dragon being expelled or does it yes. say a third of the angels in there? And a third of the, yeah. And a third of the stars fall ah. with them down to the earth. Gotcha. I never realized that. Okay. So that's where, that's where we have this narrative from. Right. Yeah. Okay, so now we, okay, we see ahead. as well other signs of it, and I know that it exists in um, non uh, non inspired or, or non scriptural aspects of the Jewish tradition. Um, we also know that in Genesis um, six, I believe, where the sons of God, which you could understand to be angelic beings. Um, are seduced, uh, tempted by the daughters of men and come down and breed uh, the giants, the Nephilim. Yeah. So there's already kind of a picture of fallen angels um, in at that point, as well as right here in Genesis 3, we have the, the serpent coming in. Yeah, that for me, like, that's such an interesting thing that um, you're right. It's Genesis 6. Verse four, the Nephilim appeared on earth in those days as well as later after the sons of God had intercourse with the daughters of human beings who bore them sons. And they were the heroes of old, the men right. of renown, the mighty men. Yeah. yeah, that's that's astounding, too. That's that <laughs> that one line, the two, those two sentences. Uh, OK, so. uh what else? So uh, humans get death not necessarily as a curse or a punishment, but as a path to return that you will... Yeah, we would have been crystallized if we had eaten like of the vampires. tree of life. Like vampires. We, we, yeah, we would have been <laughs> exiled from God out of uh, in a state of rebellion. And then um, if it weren't for death, we would have been stuck there. So I, know, I don't know exactly how death allows for the possibility of repentance, whether, you know, knowing our mortality draws us to desire to live uh, righteously, to desire to be um, just in God's eyes. I don't, I don't know exactly how that works, but we do have that, that sense of having been cut off. Um, and we do want to be back to God and, Death is a great motivator for that. Because there'll be a, a second choosing, right? At the moment of death, where do you want to go back to God or do you want to go to, to hell and continue living on your own terms? Yeah, and the unknown of, of the afterlife. Um, you know, uh, 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really clear theologically. Yeah. Like, why? No, I, why death is that gift that allows for the possibility of redemption to play out? Well, I think we all agree that death brings its a sweetness because of the scarcity of time, and so everything is a little more special. Everything matters. You're going to use your time wisely. You're going to try to spend time with your family and friends, and not, you know, nobody, nobody on their deathbed says, "Oh, I wish I spent more time at work." It's like, no, this is a very short life. There's a lot of good things to be done. And while we dread death, as all mortals do, because we don't know what's on the other side, it, uh, if you were to live forever, you, it would your life would lose its flavor. And I think that's the moral of every vampire story. Certainly in Bram Stoker's Dracula, which I remember reading in college, when they finally kill Dracula, like he's so relieved. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he, uh, it's like finally at last. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so okay, so the, why? the sacrifice of the the living word of God, the creator of the universe, through him all things were made. Yeah, so we are... So what the last picture uh, okay. from Genesis 3 would be this picture of exile that were banished from the Garden of Eden. And um, there's something that we see throughout the Old Testament, and we see this as well in the New Testament, but there's something about... God's holiness, uh, his purity, that nothing impure can be in his presence. Um, There's stories of Aaron's sons uh, slipping in to the um, tent of the tabernacle and possibly being drunk or somehow offering the wrong kind of incense and uh, just being killed um, for entering into... God's presence in an impure kind of state. Um, I think there's one guy who trips and touches the Ark of the Covenant as yes. he's carrying it, and he is also killed. Right, right. So there, and throughout these pictures of the animal sacrifices, there's this picture that the consequence of um, sin is either exile or death. That nothing, if nothing can be in God's presence. If you saw God, you would burn up. It was just understanding yeah and Um, those feel those feel like cruel penalties if you think that death is annihilation instead of consummation because right from from the christian point of view he's just saying okay game over (laughs) you you know like you're done you're done on this part come to the next part right right yeah 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 so with this state of um and the one other thing from Genesis 3 as well would be um, verse 3, um, 15. And in that, we refer to it as what's called the proto-evangelium, the kind of proto-gospel, the promise of a redeemer. And he's speaking with the, the, the snake at this point. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers they will strike at your head while you strike at their heel. So we Christians have always seen this as the promise of a coming of a redeemer um, who will with, and it's very interesting here, with the, uh, the woman step upon the head of the, the serpent, uh, strike it at her head, at their, his head. Um, and so that promising coming of a redeemer is what most of pretty much the rest of the Old Testament is building up to. And 
Um, so we see kind of types of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ throughout, uh, and especially in the kind of animal sacrifices um, that are performed. And that, so if we look at the, like the Day of Atonement, uh, the sacrifices of the two goats on the Day of Atonement in uh, Leviticus, everyone's <laughs> everyone's favorite chapter of the Bible. Um, <laughs> Leviticus is usually when anyone wants to read the whole Bible through where they just realize, no, I'm, I'm done. That's yeah, enough. Yeah. Um, but all the laws that I think we, we see, I, I think it's Leviticus 16 or so where you, you we come across this um, sacrifice of the two goats. And um, yeah, it's like the, the David on the David atonement, and the anim, two goats would be brought to the high priest, and upon one, uh, the high priest would lay his hands and place all of his and the community's sins upon the goat. And we often get this misunderstanding that that goat is then what's going to be sacrificed, but it's mm-hmm. not. Um, and this is what's kind of odd to me because it, it's not that um, the sins need to, it, it, this is really important. Like the sins are placed upon this goat and they're transferred to this goat, but that goat is not killed. Okay. I, I, I have it. It's 16, seven uh, or 66 yes. is Aaron shall offer the bull, his purification offering to make atonement for himself and for his household taking the two male goats and setting them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, he shall cast lots to determine which one is for the Lord and which one is for Azazel. The goat that is determined by lot for the Lord, Aaron shall present and offer up as a purification offering, but the goat determined by lot for Azazel, he shall place before the Lord alive so that with it, he may make atonement by sending it off to Azazel in the desert. What is that? Yeah. So Azazel is this, that's the devil, I take it, or yeah, it's another. It's a kind of goat-headed um, devil, uh, which I don't know all too much of the details, but is worshipped in some way or another. Um, Anything that ends in L has, has to do with God, I believe. So yeah, so he's an angry, fierce, uh, goat-headed. Um, I believe it's a goat-headed god from some Mesopotamian kind of culture, and so the sins cannot remain in Israel. And so they are placed upon that goat and they're sent off into the wilderness for to go off to where Azazel is, uh, to go to just to leave the community. Um, because again, the picture is it, what is impure cannot be in God's presence. So sin is cast out uh, from God's presence. And then the other goat is um, slaughtered for purification. And what that is, is that it's understood uh, earlier in the big, is that the blood, life, the blood of an animal or the blood of a person is where their life is. And so the killing of that, um, the other goat is not in order to kind of redeem the sins. The sins have been already removed. The killing of the of the goat isn't so important. It's that they need the blood, because the hmm. life is in the blood, and the life and the blood is used to purify 
and so it's sprinkled all around the land because the blood um the adam's sin pollutes the earth it's cursed the ground and then later you know in cain and abel the blood has spilled onto the ground and as uh and god says um you know your sin is crying up from the earth right the ground um, is crying or the blood the spilled blood is crying to god yeah and that um so the the blood of a pure goat is used then to as by the by the priest to purify the and consecrate reconsecrate the altar the the tent and then it's brought around and sprinkled throughout the camp of israel so the blood is what purifies it um, must have sm really smelled the whole <laughs> <laughs> the, the sweet offerings yeah <laughs> yes yeah because yeah, i can understand the cooking of the meat right as another bible scholar called it like a great barbecue right um, but just the amount of flies from all this blood buzzing around, which, you know, another devil is Beelzebub, I think, is the Lord of the Flies. Yes, the, yeah. Like, there must have been so many flies um, <laughs> anytime there was these sacrifices, you know, just in the... Um, okay, so so that is... And also, is there something about, like, you have to sacrifice for it to mean something, right? The reason speeding tickets yeah. carry a $300 fine is so that if it were a ten dollar fine I, I wouldn't i wouldn't care right you do you know, do you know in uh finland i believe they assess fines um proportional to your income i think that's really a good idea because if if you're you know michael bloomberg you don't care about a one right. million dollar fine right. yep as many yeah. tickets as you want no problem yeah. right except for like yeah. on the fourth one they take your license and then you have to go stand at the dmv again or go to drive traffic <laughs> And then you really do care because that's time, which <laughs> just, yes. which is valuable for everybody. Yeah. So, what do we mean by sacrifice? Um, and that's that's again something I'll bring up to the kids because, like, animal sacrifice is pretty weird, pretty extreme, kind of not not part of our cultural modern day understanding at all. Um, so, like, when I, as I'm teaching the high schoolers. I don't start there with animal sacrifice or uh, really kind of, they could intellectually comprehend how the life of the blood the, the, is in the, the life is in the blood and that the animal uh, sacrifice is therefore bringing life back to the community. That's okay. They could conceptually grasp that, but we have to get to what a sacrifice is. Um, and you know, just by definition, it's kind of a surrender of a possession as an offering. Um, surrender of kind of typically a, a valuable possession for mm -hmm. something that is going to be more valuable. Um, and yes, there is that then the act of slaughtering an animal as an offering to God, and particularly like we'll see with Cain and Abel, one of the things is... Um, Abel offers up the first fruit and the choicest uh, fat, um, whereas Cain just seems to make an offering of his crops. Um, mm -hmm. So this this giving of what is really cher what is cherished and maybe even precious to someone uh, for some greater good. And that, I'll, I'll 
ask them, you know, give me some examples. Um, and they'll speak of, you know, okay, like uh, taking, doing dishes for their parents or taking the trash out or, um, you know, go, uh, willing to be late to a class and possibly suffer detention to allow, um, to help a friend who could find his bag, you know, or things of that sort. Um, but then, you know, we talk about like, well, time, you know, mm -hmm. setting aside, playing video games so that you do your homework. <laughs> yeah. And that's a kind of a sacrifice. Um, and, and they start to get it. The, 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 uh, and even like attention, um, if you want to focus, if you want attention, you have to be willing to give up where you might want to go, where your tendencies are, the disparate desires of our uh, of our concupiscent kind of be state, and and like offer those up so that you can give your attention to um, something that is of more value. And you know, and I refer that to prayer. Like prayer is a you need to do an interior kind of like sacrifice in order just to pray. Um, not only in terms of the time that you carve out for it, but the quality of your um, your your mind and your your heart. Um, and and so that that picture of sacrifice and then recognition of like okay. So uh, where else do we refer to sacrifice in our larger society? And, you know, uh, from the sacrificial fly or sacrificial bunt, uh, you know, they kind of get the picture more clearly or the, mm -hmm. the ultimate sacrifice of a soldier um, willing to throw his, his life on a grenade um, and to, in order to save or his, yeah. his fellow soldiers. Um, and they get it. Right, they get that the uh, what overall a sacrifice is, and because 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 it shows value. Yeah, and it shows someone willing to give something up um, for that value, for what is valued. Yeah, and and again, maybe that's why it's so sweet to die and have limited a number of time because. However much my speeding ticket costs, or whatever, that's just that's just time I spent working, right? The time I didn't spend, and I don't have that much time. I only have a few years, right? right? Why, uh, why you're supposed to, you know, when you when you give a, an engagement ring, it doesn't. You are supposed to just spend a lot of money on it, even though it looks the same if you spent a little bit of money on it, uh, because it represents a lot of time you've invested, and then it shows that in the future you will also invest time and in that relationship. And so the, the woman can believe that, okay, this is a good, this is a good choice because here's a person who will continue putting me ahead of his other desires and so on. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's perfect. Yeah. Right. And, um, okay. So I, 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 yeah. And also, um, to go back to Jordan Peterson and his Bible talks, he, he talks about the discovery of sacrifice as a way to become people who can build a civilization because they know how to plan and they know how to put grain aside for the, you know, for the lean years and so on. And it sort of differentiates the the grasshopper from the, is it grasshopper and the ants? Is it the ants mm -hmm. who work and yep. the grasshopper plays and then the ants have food in the winter and the grasshopper doesn't. And, 
you can't build a city or have granaries if all you're doing is hanging out in the woods and like that this like you're just either full or hungry and by sacrificing you can plan and then you can really build a civilization which is which just requires yeah. a city yeah yeah oh yeah yeah there's uh i think as well there's um there's these pictures of sacrifice in the ancient world um where we'll see in pagan societies um sacrifice of animals um but also human sacrifice and yeah um which suddenly doesn't sound so monstrous in this context you know because well, I, I i was always appalled you know with uh abraham and isaac the fact that when god tells abraham to go kill isaac abraham does not say that's crazy what are you talking about i've never heard of this that's insane because it wasn't insane because that must have happened all the time right he, yeah must have he responds in a way as if that was something that's not a bizarre it's, because it's not like oh cut off your left foot and you'd be like okay but you know and so many people had a human sacrifice, not just the Aztecs 500 years ago, but certainly in ancient Mesopotamia and child sacrifice and so on. Right. Yeah, I think in um, my understanding that towards the end of the Aztec Empire, there was 20,000 human sacrifices a year. Oh, yeah. Um, just yeah. Now, it's where, hard to know. It's hard to know because sometimes numbers are um, rhetorical and it's hard to know if they know how to count. But, you know, like it and and these are killed one by one with stone knives. It's not like you can shoot them against the wall uh, with machine guns. So it's like you kill one person after another person after another person with a stone knife cutting them over. It's so much effort. And what was the state of these people? It's a, we have no idea. Is this voluntary or is this... Um are they themselves kind of just bound and uh, going unwillingly or willingly? In the Aztec context, most of them are prisoners of war. Most of yeah. them are taken um, either as a as a levy or as captives from the neighboring tribes, which is why somebody like Cortez, who's no you know who's who's no paragon of virtue himself, can quickly find tens of thousands of allies, you know, and why mm -hmm. five hundred Spaniards can overthrow a hundred thousand Aztecs because everybody is really tired of getting murdered on these pyramids and right. they're like you okay we'll we'll join you instead yeah and something's not working anymore here yeah uh, right right so but okay so there's a, a sense that we're going to kill you to pay this debt to our god because our crops are not going well or something's wrong so i'm going to capture somebody else and kill him but that's not really a sacrifice at that point because i'm you're paying for my problems yeah, so the, I haven't spent a lot of time researching ancient uh, sacrifices, but the little that I have understood is that they are, um, in a certain sense, uh, acts of hospitality, inviting a um, a god uh, on into uh, some kind of idol some kind of a, a body some kind of a statue or other such where they where food is being offered 
to invite them to dwell in in and amongst uh, that people, mm-hmm. uh, and that that is then um, bringing those um, those forces on into that community. Yeah, uh, certainly that, that, uh, the, the three strangers, right? The three strangers who come to Abraham's tent and tell him that Sarah will conceive a child. And he's, he's really, he, you know, Abraham, Lord of all these people, is leaping up and making the bread and moving fast and like really hopping to it. To, to... And then Lot, I think, is another example where he, he will protect strangers from a mob and sacrifice his own children to protect strangers from a mob of, of, of crazed rapists. Right there are these kind of pagan kind of sacrifices um, to idols in which there's going to be some animal or some grain or some uh, smoke incense that is going to be offered with the hope that then that God will dwell in that idol, grant them um, and those people a kind of a a power. Um, And the, this kind of a, Animal sacrifice is almost opposite of what Christians do. So in these kind of pagan sacrifices, the idea is to take the life of something, to consume it, to give you to give you access to some power. Because the other aspect to the animal sacrifices of the pagans is that um, it was a meal they all partook in, mm-hmm. right? which is, um, we, we hear Paul saying, do not eat of uh, the sacrifices and the blood and the sacrifices of pagan rituals um, because then you become part of that um, that being. Um, and this is kind of what they understood is that those in those sacrifices, those who are eating of what is being offered then are joined in hospitality uh, to that being. Um, And so when we think about Christ's sacrifice as a lamb of God, um, we don't see this either human-wise or in the sense of a lamb of God, a kind of analogy to this this animal sacrifice. We don't see him, um, his life being taken Right as uh, I forget exactly where in John it says, no one can take um, the life of the Son of Man, but He lays His own life down. Hmm. So He's not His life isn't being taken from Him. He's offering His life. He's giving it. So now we have a picture of a God, uh, God Man, being giving His life, um, and the people. Um, also then as, as we understand through the Eucharist um, are joined to him through that act. That's, and, and that's it? a, that's a great mystery, right? The Bishop right. Barron says in his um, reflection on his rosary YouTube video that they, part of this is that Jesus endures every kind of horrible thing all on the same day. You know, he's betrayed by his friends. He's treated with injustice uh, by the court. Uh, he is mocked. He is tortured and then kill, killed. His mother has to watch. Like all, all the wor- worst things that you could imagine happening are piled upon his shoulders all at one instance. Uh, and somehow that 
kind of like to the scapegoat. This binds to him all the rotten things we have done and continue to do to each other. Right. It's just like that scapegoat. In a certain sense, both of the scapegoats are united in him. Yeah. Um, because as he is, is, he's not just exiled away, he receives all of those and then all, all the, the torture, the torment, the mocking, the evil that human can do, um, he accepts. And then the, um, but as with the second goat, he is also sacrificed. Um, and then his blood is drips and purifies uh, the world. Um, so we understand that um, this is the blood of the new covenant uh, that, and that we consume his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and so are joined to him. Um, so in a certain sense, this is uh, kind of what the pagans were doing in a fallen way. They were trapping gods into idols, trapping these angelic kind of, or demonic kind of beings into idols, and then... Um, offering up some animal so that they could be joined to the power of that, that being. And I know this is to like a modern day yeah. uh, sensibilities. We don't really, we don't really accept angels and demons all that much, but um, that, that maybe is a whole nother uh, topic to go into. Um, but there are these kind of patterns, intelligible patterns, these intelligible forces that, um, that are present in the world. And, um, we can often sometimes even just recognize that I think in, uh, in addictions. Um, yeah, totally. Right. But I, so, I, I do think I, I, I have invited an exorcist, <laughs> so I hope okay. to, have, to have a really good talk about that. But I do think there are both. I think there are, um, literal demons, right. From yes. this, from yes. this supernatural realm that we only get a glimpse of here and there, but there are also idols that we have created, which is, I am addicted to uh, money or drugs or sex or anything like that. And I'm putting that ahead of the, the properly ordered priorities of my life. Yeah. And, and there's a certain kind of pattern to alcoholism, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and that it, it's kind of disregarding the individual, um, the individuals can fall into the pattern of alcoholism that seems to go beyond any one person. So it's almost like this, this, as we even refer to like the, the spirit of alcohols and such, but it was almost like this, this being, literally, literally spirits. <laughs> yes. The literally the spirit that we, yeah. and again, we consume in ritualistic ways typically yeah. and uh, fall more and more under the power and authority of that pattern of addiction. Yeah. Um, now I'm not, I'm not trying to say that all alcoholics are demonically possessed, right? That's not what I'm trying to say, but, um, but there, there is something like this, I think in terms of what the pagans are doing by ritualistically, uh, calling in a, a, a fallen intelligibility. In other words, like some kind of pattern that is destructive and is leads to chaos and, uh, power and, and self and, that they're drawing that power and trapping it or trying to or believing that they can trap it into some kind of material body, which who knows, maybe that intelligibility wants and desires some kind of a physical body. 
and then um and they are then sharing in this consuming of a of a food to join with it the the offering of a life and so, so th- this is exactly how uh christianity flips all that is that yeah um we're not trapping a god into a material body god is giving his body to us and putting it into or transubstantiating it into from bread and wine into being his body that then we consume so we can be joined back to the very principle of order in the universe the logos himself and so the the eucharist is joining us back into this pattern of life and uh an, an eternal life and an overflowing of uh of life um and yeah. which is then healing of all of our wounds yeah um, yeah and, and be- because it resets your patterns because it's so much more powerful and because it just reminds you of um your it's it's it can help it can free you from any other addiction too and especially with you you know through confession and the eucharist right right yeah and the faith size of a mustard seed so right. this is this is really god making himself accessible to us in a way that is intelligible and to help us return to him while still on this earth. Because the fear is, I don't know about fear, but the the fact is if we don't get into a pattern of preferring God to the things on this planet, when the final judgment comes, we will again not prefer God. And we'll, so not, not that God would throw us into hell because he's a loving father, but we would prefer to obstinately choose the corner where there is no God, which is, of course, hell. We would damn ourselves unless we're in the habit of choosing God while we're still here. Right. And we can't, uh, we can't do it on our own. And we can't do it. God had to send his son to us. So because the state of us trying to always just choose right and choose good um, and make our life perfect and uh, free of pain, um, it just doesn't work. And yeah. draws us um, more and more into kind of a, a self-obsessed um, place. Yeah. Um, so uh, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. And also that the redemption isn't just the crucifixion, death, and the resurrection, but the whole process, the whole entry as a baby in a manger, the whole ministry of thirty-three years. All of that right. is the salvation. All of that is the redemption. Right. Right. Which culminates, of course, on the cross, um, yeah. and and I think that so that's the other aspect to this is that um, why do we need a savior? Why can't Jesus just be a really good teacher um, and just another kind of like a, a Buddha or Rabbi Moses? Um, is that we we cannot really get out of the this kind of world of sin and exile from God's presence uh, on our own. We can't just put ourselves back into relationship to God. We can't just look upon even Jesus as a great model of how I want to live my life so that I can be a better better man, a better father, a better husband. Um, but that all those efforts end up falling short and mm-hmm. actually maybe um, drawing us further from really being brought back in union with God 
And so God had to send his son. God had to become man so that man could become God, as, as Athanasius, St. Athanasius says. Yeah. Yeah, and this requires no convincing <laughs> because everybody yeah. listening to your voice right now already knows this by, by his own experience. Like where I have tried to do it on my own, it, it has been a, a, a terrible disappointment. And where I have put my hands, put myself in God's hands and followed um, this path of, uh, of um, repentance, uh, reconciliation, and uh, Eucharist, things have gone so miraculously well. Right. And which all of it itself, it's, it's also kind of a participation in the self-sacrificial love of the son, right? Because as we say, yeah, I can't do this on my own. <laughs> we're already kind of like in that first act of repentance, we're already beginning to say like, I, I have to give up my own self-control, self-attachment and thinking that I'm, um, I really have the power and control in my life and give that over yeah. to God. That already is a kind of a sacrifice, um, yeah. which then the, with Christ upon the cross, that's a picture to us as well of, of God's love, that his love, and this is, getting back is this, this isn't a love of, this isn't a picture to me of a father who despises us, deplores us. It think, uh, as I forget, you just quoted uh, John, John, John Edwards. It's called, it's called something like um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's, it's something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yes. Sorry. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, 1741. John, John Edwards. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see the anger in all this story. I see the um, this love that sends his son, and that is uh, and can can well, God's the Father's love is also self sacrificial love, right? He doesn't have to even have created creation, but he gave of his own being without any kind of loss to himself. He gave of his own being, so there could be beings. Um, with no sense of competition, with no sense of kind of uh, his own kind of uh, lessening as a result. And and so likewise, his son, as an image of the father, gives of his own life for our um, our spiritual life, for our eternal life. And so this, the whole picture to me is actually of love, not of punishment and the kind of uh, forensic, um, uh, you know, legal... Mm-hmm. need for Jesus to take um, God's wrath upon himself. Yeah, that that's really helpful. And it I also feel it intuitively that 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 makes much more sense. That makes much more sense. It makes more sense as a father, too. Yeah. Right? I'm gonna. Yeah. I don't know what that image of a of, uh, has done to us as Americans of the, of the wrathful father. Um, but yeah, it, it, so, right. It's such a conversation between anthropomo- anthropological forces of ancient narratives of trying to understand, oh, life and death and seasons and elements and locusts uh, to what Jesus explained and what we feel when we deal with our own children. 
um, and yeah. you know other creatures. So something I make, something I love, something I care about. It could be a garden, you know. It could be something that I've given life to. How I feel about it. Yeah, and that they, by God's will, hopefully will go out and continue to cultivate um, as they spread that to others. Yeah. Well, Mr. David Basil, we have talked for over an hour, and you have definitely answered my question. Is there anything else uh, we want to say? Uh, no, nothing comes yeah. to mind. Would you no. Would you uh, be so kind as to say a prayer or a blessing for our listeners and our, our world and our families? Yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, Heavenly Father, who has created us, who sustains us in each and every moment, and who has given us all of the gifts and talents which we have. We ask that you bless us, and we especially give you thanks for the gift of your Son, who gave himself so that we all may live. I ask that you continue to bless the, this ministry of uh, Chris Odinitz and all of the listeners that they may receive the graces they need to hear your will and to have the courage and ability to follow it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Chris Odinitz and David Basil recorded this conversation on Monday, January 16th, 2023. It was the feast day of St. Marcellus I, who worked to write the floundering ship of our church after the persecutions of Diocletian in the late 3rd century. It was also the holiday, or holy day, of a secular saint here in the U.S., and that's Martin Luther King, one of the great Christian voices of the 20th century. In a January 1966 sermon called Transformed Nonconformist, Dr. King said, By opening our lives to God in Christ, we become new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as the new birth, is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformists. Only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band, www.gscoasterband.com, and I will play two Christmas songs of theirs for you now at the end of this episode. Our logo, the stained glass window in Santo Domingo de Silos in Spain, comes from the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales, www.english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinitz. I'd love to read your comments at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com, and I'll talk to you soon. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet, while shepherds watch are keeping. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and Angels sing, haste, haste to bring him, Lord, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such meanest state?
Savior 
Lord.